Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. With me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. And in a week when John Lewis unveils their three million pound Southampton concept store, which has a rooftop orchard, farm shop, bread making and barista workshops. Um, the store opened on Tuesday and aims to be pioneering in the changing face of retail uh, and is a result of the decision to merge the management teams from both John Lewis and Waitrose Arms of the Business. And as one in two UK engineering and tech firms are concerned that a shortage of engineers is a business threat, according to some research by the Institution of Engineering and Technology, 60% of employers report recruitment of engineering and technical staff with the right skills to be the biggest anticipated barrier to achieving business objectives over the next three years. We thought we'd build on that and we've decided to take a look at unemployment rates and the future of the work of work in the UK as our topical discussion. Tracy, what have you got? Okay, so of course I went to the ONS. If you want statistics, that's the best place to start. So the ONS published last week the Labour Market Overview for the UK for November 2019. And in that report, which is uh, regularly published, there are estimates of employment, unemployment, economic inactivity and other employment related statistics. So I'll just go on the headlines here. The UK employment rate was estimated at 76%. The UK unemployment rate was estimated at 3.8%. And the UK economic inactivity rate was estimated at 20.8%. And estimated annual growth in average weekly earnings for employees in Great Britain was 3.6%. But in real terms, after you've adjusted for inflation, it's actually 1.8%. And it was estimated that for August to October 2019, there were um, 800,000 vacancies in the UK. What I found most interesting from this is the link into the actual definitions. So economic activity... It might sound obvious, but I did look it up on the ONS website and this is defined as people not in the labour force, not in employment, but do not meet the internationally accepted definition of unemployment because they've not been seeking work within the last four weeks or they are unable to start work in the next two weeks. So you're only classed as unemployed if you're able to search for work. Right. Okay. Okay. And unemployment then is the definition where people without a job have been actively seeking work within the last four weeks and available to start within the next two weeks. The unemployment rate is not the proportion of the total population who are unemployed, it says in the definition. So it is the proportion of the economically active population who are unemployed. So I think those two differences are quite important economic inactivity which was standing at 20 20.8 percent and unemployment which is 3.8 percent so a fifth of the uk workforce is not active in the workplace by that narrow definition so you haven't looked for work in the last four weeks right okay so that's interesting because the Guardian, um, there's an article in the Guardian on Sunday, um, which builds on the um, the fact that UK unemployment may be 
low because we are working longer hours. So people are having, the pay is so low that they're working longer hours in order to achieve enough. Yeah, or, or having two jobs. Or having two, yeah, exactly, exactly. Because no one job, because full-time jobs are, are few and far between and this sort of part-time economy um, is much more prevalent. So there's quite an interesting report that they've um, unearthed that talks about the reasons for this. And the implication, not just if we look back 10 years, but if we start to look into the crystal ball and see how things might pan out in the future. Um, and they say, the, the the article is saying that it's about that flexibility and that people do have portfolio careers. People do, you know, work. Um, it used to just be that certain demographics would work a part-time job as well as a full-time job. Now I think it's quite normal. You know, ladies often would, you know, work in a bar of an evening or, you know, we'd take a Saturday job in a, a, a or, paper or shop. Just or just work while the kids are at school. Or exactly, yeah. exactly. But increasingly we're seeing that men are working these part-time jobs as well. So that skews the figures quite a bit. Um, but the one thing that I found quite interesting, and there are a million re re um, reports about all of these subjects, but the Open University has done quite an in-depth um, study. And they're reporting on the skills shortages. And we talk about skill shortages all the time. Uh, and there are some interesting stats around how skill shortages have changed across the UK between 2018 and 2019. Now, the overall figure um, is showing a slight increase of just 1%. However, when you start to look at different regions, so in the West Midlands, for example, there's been a drop in the skill shortage, whereas in the southwest there's been an increase. Northern Ireland, there's been a drop, um, whereas in the east of England, there's been an increase. And I think what would be really interesting is to start to look at the types of industries and businesses that exist within those different areas. The northeast, for example, manufacturing, um, the southeast, um, the southwest, tourism. You know, what, you know, what is it? what could explain that that change um and as with most of these things once you start well once i start looking at data it just it poses more questions than it does <laughs> answers no i i'm going to refer back to the festival of enterprise we did promise you that this um day trip that we had would um, generate lots of material for the show and i'm referring to one particular talk that we went to it's called the future of work quite conveniently fits into our topic this week and it was by the director of talent solutions for LinkedIn he had a load of amazing stats and I, I didn't get them all noted down but there's a few here he was talking about automation of jobs and uh, he, he reckons that 46% of jobs are susceptible to automation. I think we're very aware of that. And by 2022, 75 million jobs will be displaced. However, it is um, reckoned that there's an opportunity here because 130 million new jobs will emerge, but they're just different jobs. And the, the competitive advantage that you need, either as a a training organisation or an employer or a potential employee is predicting the correct skills that you're going to need. Which, Yeah, which is challenging. Because the, he also gave us another figure um, that 65% of the jobs of the future don't exist today. So it's very difficult to prepare. And again, that applies to training organisations, employers and employees. 
And one of the things I thought was really worth passing on, his his recommendations were definitely upskill in tech. There's going to be more requirements in tech and IT. And then double down on your soft skills because soft skills are the things that can't be replaced by automation mm. and by tech. So, But it's the right type of tech. And he named a few bits of tech that were the top rising skills. I'd not heard of these things. I, I'm not even going to mention them now because I feel I wouldn't do them service. But you could put a lot, lot of effort into one area of IT and find that it's not the... The not the one. Yeah. Yes. So pick your speciality um, or maybe even a general sort of IT skill and confidence would stand you in good stead, at least initially, and then have the ability to flex. And this is one of the really important things. He was saying that the, the future of work is about more independent work and freelancers and flexibility and autonomy, which actually works really great for millennials because they want autonomy, flexibility, but also key. They want a sense of purpose as well. Yeah, uh, there's a report that uh, PwC PricewaterhouseCoopers has conducted. Um, they, they did a survey of 10,000 people. And they have unearthed the four worlds of work in 2013. There is the red world, um, and they go in. They describe a lot of this in depth, where innovation is is the watchword, is the buzzword, um, and that's looking at you know how organisations give customers what they want and using digital platforms. There's the blue world where capitalism reigns supreme, and it is um, it's all about bigger is better. There is the green world, which, as you might expect, is about where corporate social corporate social responsibility is massive. And it's not a, just a nice to have, but it's a business imperative. And then one that I'd never come across again, which is the yellow world, which is what um, the gentleman at the Future of Work um, talk was was talking about humans come first. This is where workers and companies seek out greater meaning and relevance in what they do. And that is that thing about the millennials wanting to be making a difference while they're oiling the wheels of industry or, or the corporate world. So if you're wanting to get a jump on a particular industry, one more little tip for you. Um, trending emerging industries, as identified by the head of talent solutions at LinkedIn, commercial drones, 3D printing, alternative finance and cryptocurrency and future agriculture there you go something for you to think about you're listening to the business community on Calon fm and i was going to mention in other news about the boss of greg's who apparently has decided to become vegan on the back of seeing a netflix documentary on the damage that meat does so no doubt he'll be eating one of his own sausage rolls oh, the, vegan, the vegan sausage roll one of the vegan sausage rolls they, it was the first wasn't it well it's the first one we mentioned on the show <laughs> we seem to have mentioned Therefore, it. it's the first <laughs> yeah we've mentioned vegan sausage rolls a fair bit more than i expected to when we started this show uh, and also the political goings on are worthy of Armando Yanucci's The Thick of It. And um, there is a vacancy for a PR advisor at the palace, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> but the news that I picked up on is from People Management this week. And a, f a poll has found that employees' principles are not shared by their employers. 
And I think this is really relevant when when you consider what we were just talking about and the future of work and um, particularly millennials um, wanting to feel a sense of purpose. Uh, they did a poll of just over a thousand UK workers. This was the Institute of Leadership and Management. And from the people they surveyed, um, the top 10 values held by employees, only three of those were shared by the employers. So there was a little bit of a gap. Well, so when they asked about their employer's values, qualities included um, collaboration, diversity and accountability. And the Institute for Leadership and Management described these as functional and outcome driven measures. But in contrast, the workers' personal values were centred around the human aspects of work, hardly surprisingly. And they included such things as honesty, making a difference and doing the right things. And the top values that were shared more often with employers and employees were integrity, respect and trust. I was quite interested to read that the, the difference, there is a gender split in these as well. So the top values of the male respondents, 50% of those matched the employers. Okay. And of the female respondents, only 30% of their values matched their employers. So that may um, cause you to think that maybe there is a disconnect between um, the female and potentially the male preference for values i'm not quite sure but uh, it's an interesting article you can find that on peoplemanagement.co.uk we'll put a link on our website which is the business.community for me there's more questions than answers there mm. but i think it's it's just really important to be aware that values are going to play such a big part in recruitment and retention of employees in years to come you need to start thinking about it now and also I do quite a lot of work with businesses around their values and it's not just enough to stick a load of words or a load of statements up on the wall you've got to live you've them. got to live them yeah, yeah. and ev and they've got to be lived from the top you know the most senior person within the organization to the most junior otherwise it ain't going to work it ain't going to work what have you got, Heather? Well, I noticed that having been away in Amsterdam last week, drinking rather too much, I noticed that um, that last week was Alcohol Awareness Week. How aware were you of your alcohol? I was, I was very aware of my alcohol, yes. And other things that were happening in and around uh, Amsterdam. But yes, it was it was the alcohol for me. Um, and I it, it got me thinking about, um, in terms of the workplace, we know that alcohol and drugs are you know are very prevalent in our society and how does that then impact on on a business on an organization and there's um there's a website called alcohol change uk which works with businesses to help them implement devise and implement an alcohol policy which once upon a time you would never even consider that that would need to be a thing but but it is and it, you have to look at the risk uh, in terms of having people who may be under the influence of alcohol at work, the health and safety point of view, the overall well-being of the individual, the productivity for the for the business and the inclusion of those individuals with the rest of the team, because it can be quite isolating because people think I'll keep away from Johnny because he's under the influence of alcohol. So um, so that in itself, I thought was an interesting thing that there is an organisation that can help you to do that. Um, and then on the back of that, I started to look at the 
the nighttime economy. Something that um, <laughs> with. <laughs> You were in Amsterdam. I, I was in Amsterdam, yes. But something that in my work with um, with Oswald Street Business Improvement District, we are constantly looking at the implications of things for daytime businesses and the nighttime economy businesses, because let's make no bones about it. Town centres in particular are having more and more um, uh, impromptu bars opening up, restaurants, cafes. People are out and about much more eating out and the nighttime economy makes a massive contribution to GDP. And it, it's not going to change anytime soon, I don't think, because um, we live in this world where we are more likely to go and eat out. The number of times that people are eating out of an evening with their kids, that never happened when I was a child, you know, you didn't go out to eat. That was a whole other thing. And there's a trade association which is called the NTIA, which is the nighttime industry um association and it looks at any businesses that are involved in uh, running their business at night and some of the issues and challenges that they face perhaps in terms of antisocial behavior um, staffing security those types of things so um, I'll put a link to that and all of the things that we've talked about on our blog at the where are we at the business.community <laughs> before we finish this section then um, it would be remiss of me not to mention an article that I found on the BBC last week. Christmas adverts, do they really work? Oh, yes. So what's your gut reaction, Heather? Do they work? I don't know. I mean, I'm not... A, I don't mind, really. I'm not... A, I tend to fast-forward through adverts, so I really don't watch But you're aware that, that the John Lewis advert is out now. I've been the aware Aldi of it. Advert. I have seen it once. I haven't seen the Audi advert, but I know they exist. Yes. Yeah. So um, the BBC went asking people what they thought of them. And lots of people on this busy London street were saying that they liked them. They're not sure it made them go rush out and buy stuff. Um, and I think um, one thing that springs to mind for me is that it gets people talking. Mm. So regardless of whether people are actually immediately going out and spending money at John Lewis, it becomes a talking point. You get, you know that the production values at the John Lewis advert are very high. Mm. You know they've spent a lot of money in there and that's questionable when they're not doing so great. But that's brand awareness. You, you get starting to associate John Lewis with a quality advert that makes you cry. John Lewis makes me cry. <laughs> well, and you do get a lot of people, and this is perhaps another another thing. People go, it's officially Christmas because the John Lewis advert, the Coca-Cola advert, yeah. the Aldi advert, whatever it might, Marks and Spencers. So it's a sign that Christmas is on its way. And maybe that drives people towards the high street. Although I was talking to a couple of retailers over the weekend and it seems to have been very quiet on the on the high street. Well, in apparently the in the golden quarter leading up to Christmas, the UK consumers spend about £30 billion. So the competition to get that business is, is quite fierce. And it is thought that a great Christmas ad will help them to cut through the noise. Uh, I don't I don't know if that is true, but I certainly have conversations with my 10 year old son because we're, we're watching reruns of ER at the moment. Okay. <laughs> he chose something with 15 series to, to watch with me from the start. Okay. It's a great bonding experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but because it's on all four or whatever the, the channel four um, player is, um, 
you have to watch the adverts. You can't fast forward through them. They're, they're forced on you. So we've seen quite a few of the adverts. And actually, we're discussing them. I like that one. I don't like that one. What do you think they're saying there? So it is get at least it's providing me with a conversation. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, uh, apparently Lord Sugar's not a fan. He thinks it's a waste of time. And whether you value his opinion or not, that is his opinion. And uh, I think... If it's going to be a good ad, it's going to tell a good story that links in with the brand and also trigger an emotional response, whether you're going to laugh or whether you're going to cry. And it's something, an experience that you can share. So you can you can say to people, did you see that? You know, what did you think of it? I loved it or hated it. It doesn't really matter as long as it's getting people talking about it. And, you know, I, I think... I'd be very sad if there were no Christmas adverts. I do get a bit sad when they the Christmas adverts start before my birthday. But after yeah. the 10th of November, it's okay. <laughs> Bring on Christmas, <laughs> it's all right. But don't play any on the 9th of November. You're listening to the business community on Calon FM. And don't forget that you can listen again to this episode via our podcast, which is um, the edited version without any music. Uh, and that is available via the business.community. Now, in the discovery section of the show, we we share things that we found in the previous week that we thought you think you might be interested in. And I found um, something that I quite like the look of. I don't I don't know how efficient it is. But it looks really funky. It's the Timeula Tracker. I don't know about you, but you know, sometimes you wonder where all your time goes. Yeah. Or if you're working on a particular project and it seems to just suck up all of your time. Well, fear not, there is a solution. And it's this funky looking sort of white diamond type thing that sits on your desk. And it's, it's not just an app. You, there is an app, yeah. but this is a physical thing that will Ooh. sit on your desk. Um, it's, um, it's, it's Bluetooth, it's rechargeable, and basically um, you flip it when you start a task and the app automatically tracks for you. And then you can view where your time is spent, either by project or by task or, or by how much time you spend at the water cooler. Um, you decide what you want to track and then it generates data so you get insight into whether you how much time you spend doing emails in meetings calls etc actual proper work you know (laughs) all the things that aren't emails and meetings and and telephone calls um you can use it even without the tracker you can you can just use the app um and there are three pricing um packages so you can and they have different levels of um of kit but basically you can buy the tracker um that they're selling as time in a box for 89 pounds um and that's it then you don't have to pay any subscription or you can have a slightly more sophisticated uh, 99 pounds and you pay nine pounds a month after six months or you can buy a lifetime pro tracker which is 300 quid and you don't pay anything what does that one do follow you around that basically makes your tea shouts at you (laughs) do some work things like that gets an angry face when you've uh, yeah been messing on facebook so so the more expensive ones allow you to they you have advanced analytics um you can have personal reports via email you can export your data into um, excel or as a csv and would you use that I think if I had a team of people and wanted to make sure that we were all working really efficiently, 
Um, I think it would be I think it would be really useful. How do you think your team members would feel? Well, I think it would need to be sold in the right way. I think we all know that solicitors, for example, you know they they yeah they, you bill you bill yeah. you know by the fifteen minutes or whatever. So I think it would be a really good way of tracking expenditure on projects. Uh, you know how much time have you spent on that on that thing? How much time have I spent designing writing some training? And then how much money I, do I get for delivering it, you know? <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. So I think it could be useful in that regard. Um, and then the other thing that I found w- was um, just a website, really. Um, a HR um, resource company. Um, they provide HR so- support and services. But they've got a real... And they're called questcover.com. But they've got a really extensive resource centre where you can, um, they've got guides on recruitment, TUPI, exit management, GDPR, employment tribunal, etc. Um, they've got a great blog, and I, it lo- just looks like a really interesting resource. Just you know, that's sometimes when you just want to get a bit of background information before you speak to somebody who knows what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's my kind of website. So um, so that's questcover.com. What have you got, Tracy? Okay, so I'm looking at a website now as well. Now, this came about because I I was helping um, a colleague who was going to a training establishment. They'd asked them to prepare a user persona. Uh, Essentially, they were looking at potential or ideal customers for a certain product for this uh, project they were doing. And he was directed towards this website called extensio.com, which is the letter X, then T-E-N-S-I-O, extensio.com. And it describes itself as um, a collaboration tool. But on there are an awful lot of templates that you can just fill in that can really help you to just get a head start with some of the documents. So I think maybe where I'd be coming from, I, I might be able to do some of these things from scratch but if you've never done a user persona or an ideal client persona you might just be sitting there thinking I've not got a clue in front of a blank piece of paper so there's this one pager and it's got a space for um, a picture of the ideal person a little quote that sums them up and then it it goes through um, all sorts of um, sort of what are their influences what are their motivations what are their challenges what are their fears and just to make you think and they all fit on one page and it worked beautifully he was able to fill this in and I thought you know that that's actually quite a good tool so I had a, a quick look at what else they've got they've got um they're divided into sections business development fundraising investor relations marketing which is where we got the user persona from operations product management product project management, public relations, social media marking, strategy and UX design. Are these free? Well, so there is a price to pay for these, particularly if you want to use it as a collaboration tool. And the pricing is um, free if you have two folios. I'm not quite sure exactly. Um, I think a folio folio is a living document, it says here, um, and it's a shareable page, um, a digital presentation or a PDF. Okay, so you can have two of those um, and you can upload one megabyte. You can revise it every two weeks. That's absolutely free. If you want to export it as a PDF, then you pay for the export. But you can actually have it as a live document with a URL sitting there as part of the free package, which served the purpose for this um, this colleague of mine. 
you can add your own logos to it for free uh, you can put um different style guides on it use different colors so even in the free bit it's not bad and then it goes up to a pro version for 15 dollars per month per person business level which is for small to medium sized terms which is 25 dollars per person per month so i think you'd really have to think hard about whether you're going to use it but if you're in the business of creating and collaborating with with a team on creating these sorts of things then i think it might well be a really interesting thing to do but for me i'm i'm recommending it more for if you're stuck and you don't really know what this sort of thing looks like so for example there's um a landing page you could just use a landing page, a fundraising summary, a pitch deck, a startup one pager. Um, let's have a look at public relations. <laughs> There's a media kit, a press release format and fundraising summaries, um, product management. Let's have a look. Case studies, usability testing reports, ecosystem mapping, root cause analysis. So I think if you you wanting to explore getting some real and these are visually appealing as well you know so they're, they're not just a word document mm -hmm. and, and some highlights and some bolds and some pictures imported these are visually appealing either on print or particularly on the screen as well I think they're largely designed to look good on the screen so I think it's mm -hmm. really worth a look at and uh, I, I'm going to give it a go for a bit of paperwork you know it's just yeah, I, I like all these free free apps. You know, I'm I'm not so sure about the paid versions. Of them. I do apologise, Extensio, for encouraging people to go for the free one. Um, but, but I think if you really like it and your team likes it, then then you would consider. It's going a try for a before paid you buy, version. isn't it? Yeah. Really, and I, yeah. I like that in a in a company because how can you commit to to knowing you're going to use it until you've had it go? Mm -hmm. So that is extensio.com, and we'll put a link for that on our website with our blog and our podcast at the business.community this week in the profile section of the show we're looking at dame vivian isabel westwood she's a british fashion designer and businesswoman who's responsible for bringing modern punk and new wave fashions into the mainstream fashion industry i'm sure everybody will have heard of her but she came to notice originally when she was working with malcolm mclaren and they had a shop um, with numerous names one of which was sex which was on the king's road and uh, they did some work with the sex pistols and they went to, on to open four shops in london and then expanded throughout the uk and then through the world and she's um a very interesting personality, shall I say. Interesting, yes. I um, I took one for the team and I watched a 76, 79-minute documentary. Um, <laughs> I dipped out at about 20. <laughs> and I, I found it was absolutely fascinating. I watched it with my son, who's 10. Um, maybe I should have uh, screened it beforehand because it was a little raunchy, but he was, he was quite interested to see this strange... It was almost like a zoo. It was a strange world. Um, it's by um, a filmmaker called Lorna Tucker, who herself is a former model. And the documentary is called Westwood, Punk Icon Activist. And it's actually available on Amazon, if you go and have a look there. That's where I watched it with uh, Amazon Prime. Very interesting. And normally we, we get our profiles about... Um, 
about about our gurus and business leaders, maybe from Desert Island Discs or from Exploring Elsewhere. And I, I watched a 79-minute documentary, which certainly opened my eyes to the weird and wonderful world that is fashion. Yeah, I think I think it's the weird and wonderful world of Vivian Westwood's fashion. Oh, don't you think it's the whole fashion industry? I, I, I think she... My gut feeling is that she pushes the boundaries, not just in her creativity, but just in her whole um, demeanour and her attitude. And, and I mean, we did wonder whether um, we were talking off air, whether it's, you know, just an age thing. That when you get to a certain age and you don't like something, you just say you don't like it. Um, and then if you happen to like swearing, then it kind of comes out as quite rude. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. She was born in uh, what was Cheshire, Tintwistle, but it's now apparently Derbyshire. And then her family moved to Harrow and she took a jewellery and silversmithing course at the University of Westminster, which was then called Harrow Art School. And then she left after a term because she said, I'm using a quote here, I don't know how a working class girl like me could possibly make a living in the art world. So then she went to work in a factory. She went to train to be a teacher and worked as a primary school teacher whilst also making her own jewellery and selling it at Portobello Road. And then she became involved with Malcolm McLaren and the rest is history. Yeah, she she talked about Malcolm McLaren and she, she mentioned that um, when she first met him, she didn't really like him. And and I think that... She had a word with herself a little while afterwards. Yes, yeah. And said he was actually interested. I think she was looking for the personality to come out. Mm. And perhaps it didn't initially. She's certainly surrounded by personalities now. So uh, she's married to a former fashion student from Austria, um, Andreas. And uh, she's got various other interesting people involved in her business. Uh, her CEO of um, Vivian Westwood and her, she calls him her manager. Um, he, he's a, a very interesting man. And the, the backstory of all of this is, well, it, it is, it's almost um, like fiction, but it's actually true, isn't it? It's just like a, a really bizarre little story that... Uh, you know, I've, I've not really been exposed to, so I, I found it absolutely fascinating. I think so much of the, you know, she's she's a she's an icon and associated with punk, the punk era, and I think that was such such a massive change in in fashion, in popular culture, you know, from a massive standpoint. I don't know, you know, I don't know who else is going to leave a mark quite like the Sex Pistols and. The Vivian Westwoods and Malcolm McLaren's of the world. One of the things it did really show up is that the, the business has only recently become as big and as successful it, as it is. And her success didn't happen overnight. She, you know, it's taken a long time to get to where she is. Um, and actually, I'm not so sure she's so comfortable with the size of the business and how it's expanded and how she hasn't got total control over everything. I think that was quite clear in the documentary that she felt like she'd lost control of her own business. And given that her business is her name, I imagine that's quite a difficult thing to mm. actually get your head round. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, I think so. There was an article um, that I picked up from 2016, so it's a little bit out of date, because I was thinking, well, what is... What is the fashion industry worth? Um, and um, they're quoting that the UK fashion industry is worth £26 billion pounds and 800,000 jobs to the economy. Now, one of the things that I thought was 
interesting in in the part of that documentary that I did watch before I decided it was all a little bit too self-indulgent was um the idea that so Vivian Westwood is an activist and she believes that this disposable cheap fashion that is neither good for the planet nor actually good for the for the pocket um is a misnomer and that okay her 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 stuff is very expensive but better to buy something that is well made and not high fashion that will then last isn't the phrase uh, buy less choose well that's it exactly exactly and she's certainly an advocate for that i think um and but she's also um an activist in terms of the planet in fact she mentions um a company who i've just lost the ecotricity i think they're called yeah ecotricity she's very fond of the the founder of ecotricity um and they are it's ecotricity.co.uk and they are one of the one of the early green energy firms and um and I mean, their site is interesting in itself, but but she's very much committed to uh, that that strand. And I think she, um, I think she employed him within one of her businesses at, at one stage. Um, so yeah. So whilst fashion, the fashion thing is there, she's now very much about green fashion. I, I saw one description of her public persona, and and that was take no prisoners and yeah. that, that does seem to be about right um but that is a little bit with odds at how she runs a business because she does delegate the business side of it to other people so um the ceo of the company whose name eluded me earlier on carlo damario and she met him in the 80s and he sort of persevered and stuck with the business um and that's another one of the um the values one of the business lessons that's referred to in this article i read in marketwatch.com so the first one you've already alluded to is the buy less choose well perseverance and anti-social is a, a business lesson she doesn't do social media she's not on there right and she may well delegate that to other people but she doesn't even use emails apparently um another one is collaboration and then boldness and i don't think uh you you you, know, you could avoid the boldness that's in, included in there, but yeah, I don't know. I think I think it is her personality. I think she's got a bold personality, and perhaps it's just getting more bold as she's getting older. I'm not sure, <laughs> but uh, I wouldn't like to cross her. That's for certain. No, I, I think in in the documentary she spent a lot of time saying, "Why have I got to talk about this?" And I found it quite interesting that she would be sat in an armchair in front of an interviewer. And then saying, oh, God, would you have to go through all this again? <laughs> what, you're, the life of Vivian Westwood? <laughs> yes, you're going to need to. But uh, absolutely fascinating. If you've got 70-odd minutes to spare, then it's and you want a, a bit of an insight into the weird and wonderful world of fashion, and certainly the fashion that is Vivian Westwood, then do take a look. The, the documentary is called Westwood punk icon activist and uh, it was at the Sundance Film Festival so yeah it's worth a look at now quotes Heather have you got some quotes I have it's not a business related quote but um, the quote is every time I have to look up a word in the dictionary I'm delighted 
and I think and I just like that whole idea that that she she talked a lot about her roots and you know how could I possibly be and she's educated herself and and what whatever you think about her views love them or hate them she's very well read and she's very well informed about stuff and I think that that's a good a good way to live your life I've got two. Um, one is I can't think without my glasses. I can totally relate That's, to that, that one. Isn't that just a statement of fact? <laughs> that happens, yeah. I don't, can't put my glasses down because as soon as my glasses are off for the day, I'm done. I'm mm. not reading. I'm not thinking. And the, the one that I've actually chosen as my quote is, you have a more interesting life if you wear impressive clothes. And uh, Heather pointed out while we are off air, it depends what your definition of impressive is. <laughs> That you can certainly say she's impressive. I've got to say that one of the things that made me chuckle was the um, the beautiful suit she wore when she went to the palace, and she she got an honour from the queen, absolutely beautiful. And she did a, a swirl around to show off the lovely skirts, and the naughty photographers um, caught a, a glimpse of her undergarments, un- undercarriage, undercarriage. She was commander. <laughs> I think that sort of sums her up, really. She went commando to receive her honours from the Queen, but in the most impressive suit. And I I like her for that. So that's all we've got time for this week on the business community. I do hope you join us again next week. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.